coming up on the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. If you're out there and you have an autoimmune disorder and you're feeling good because you're on a medication or a thyroid hormone or something like that, you still do not want these antibodies in the background. They are a silent killer. The higher the antibodies, antibodies equal inflammation, equal be getting more autoimmune issues. You have a higher percentage of chance uh, with certain Hashimoto's levels of having giving birth to a, ch a child with autism spectrum disorder. Hello, and welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I'm Brian Grin, and I'm here to give you actionable tips to get your body back to what it once was 5, 10, even 15 years ago. Each week, I'll give you an in-depth interview with a health expert from around the world to cut through the fluff and get you long-term sustainable results. This week, I interviewed Al Russ. She's a best-selling author, TV film writer, public speaker, and a seasoned coach. She's also the author of two books, one, Confident as F-U-C-K, and The Paleo Thyroid Solution, a book which has helped thousands of people around the world reclaim their health. She's also the host of two podcasts, one Mark Sisson's popular podcast, Primal Blueprint Podcast, and co-host of Kick-Ass Life Podcast. So in this interview, we talk about many different items, symptoms of hypothyroidism, foods that could trigger it, how to lower inflammation with food, the whole paleo primal protocol, also go into her eating, her daily eating routine, along with what is a fat burner versus sugar burner. So there's a lot of great information here that you can take and put into action. And I really hope you enjoy this episode. She has a ton of energy and I really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot and enjoy. All right. Welcome to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. My name is Brian Grin and my guest today is Al Russ. She is an author of a couple of books. We'll talk about them today, Paleo Thyroid Solution and Confident as Fuck. Um, <laughs> I think I'm allowed to say that. Um, she's also a mindset coach uh, and also a podcast host of herself, um, Primal Blueprint and The Kick-Ass Life. So we're going to touch on a bunch of that today. And uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Um, well, Should we tell the audience that for prior, we discovered that we both went to the same college for two years and then bailed on that same college, yes, <laughs> which yes. was really funny. Yes, I rarely meet I, anyone. You don't, right. You don't meet too many people who went to Butler University. Um, and we both did, just mm -hmm. different years. So, mm -hmm. And now so you're on the wet. We went for two. We only survived two. <laughs> <laughs> two years and we were out. Uh, I had a couple of friends who did the same thing. Um, and now you're in California, right? Yep, sunny California. Very nice. What part? I live in the mountains above Malibu. Oh, okay. Very nice. So it's uh, it's like uh, no street lights, a lot of horses, uh, mountain roads. Yeah, just uh, cool. living in the boonies. Yeah. Well, that's hey, nothing wrong with that. No, oh, I love it. Nothing wrong with that. Um, well, why don't you tell me about your path? I know a little bit of your background just because you were in Chicago for a few years, right? Um, and how you came from being a, were you doing a comedy and then getting into like health and, and that route? Well, uh, after college, I wanted to be an attorney. Mm -hmm. um, now, if I could look back, my dream as a kid was to like be an actor or performer or some type of thing, but I always thought, and so unrealistic, right? What a pipe dream. Let me go for the thing that's going to make me money. I'll go be a lawyer. Mm -hmm. I know that'll be safe. And I know the trajectory to partner and all that stuff. So as I was applying to law school, um, out of college, I got a sort of dumb salary paying job as an assistant at a company. And I figured oh, I'll work here till I get accepted and then I'll go to law school. Mm -hmm. Well, I ended up working for a, one of the fastest growing privately held companies in the Bay Area at the time during the huge tech room before Y2K. And they, uh, I just kept getting promoted. Like next thing you know, I'm 22. I have my own office. I'm wearing Armani suits and I'm managing a hundred, you know, mostly men throughout the state of California working for fortune 500 companies on major tech projects. When I say major tech projects, I mean like the whole entire utility company of California switching like 40,000 workstations from MS-DOS to Windows NT and this whole thing back then. So all these really big projects and, uh, you know, I, I realized I started to make a lot of really great money. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to law school now. I'm making already what a starting lawyer would make. I'm making more money than anyone I've ever known and gone to school with that has graduated. Like, I'm the most successful person out of any of my peers at the age of 22. Well, I'm, I'm going to stick here. I'll be retired by the time I'm 35. Like, mm -hmm. it's fucking great. And then uh, 
Uh, and then my arms got disabled. I, I literally, my hands stopped working and um, I am rated at a 40% disability by the state of California. I talk all about this in my second book, Confident as F-U-C-K, uh, because, you know, shame disables confidence, but it's a, it's a major story in my life. So basically at that moment, I'm 23. Now I am about to start my career, but it's just ended. My whole life has kind of just ended. And uh, you can't really find a job where you don't have to use your hands repetitively for eight hours a day. I'd love anybody to send me a recommendation on what they think, but you can't work a cash register. You can't be a bartender. Uh, you know what I mean? Other than right. a greeter at Walmart, I, you really can't do much other than using your voice. So at that time, I thought... I got nothing here. Um, I have to now use my voice. Ironically enough, it led me down the path of my initial dream that I thought was ridiculous, which was being a performer, being in that industry. So I just started to be like, okay. So I went back to Chicago for a couple of years. I did the Second City, which is a famous comedy theater where most of the writers and performers from SNL come from. Um, and then I came back out to California and uh, just hit the pavement with, you know, joining the Screen Actors Guild, auditioning for roles. I've been on TV a few times. Um, and so I pursued that path and along the way um, in doing sketch comedy, I was writing all the time, except they were like four page little sketches, you know, like you see on Saturday Night Live. And um, I, I said to a friend one day, I said, hey, you know what, what, have you ever written a screenplay? Like maybe we should figure this out. We're, we're writing all this stuff. It's just little mini stories, let's blow it up. Mm -hmm. So I got together with one of my comedy buddies. We ended up sitting there for a week and just figured it out, wrote a screenplay and then I wrote another one and then Someone asked me to write a documentary and now that's a, an award-winning documentary. And then I met Mark Sisson throughout all of this. And meanwhile, I'm suffering through hypothyroidism and um, I don't know what to do. And um, long story short is that I became an expert in it because I fixed myself. So I fixed myself twice in 10 years. The first time I fixed myself and I went about my business, I didn't know anything about paleoprimal health or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Then I had a second bout of hypothyroidism, which is even more serious only because even more doctors are uninformed about it called mm -hmm. the reverse T3 uh, situation. So I was stuck twice in 10 years to be my own doctor to figure it out. I went to over two dozen endocrinologists and doctors in LA. Nobody helped me. They all hurt me. They misdiagnosed me. They took the wrong tests. And I realized, oh my God, this is unbelievable that I'm in Los Angeles and I'm on my own. I'm on my own here. So I literally had to order my own thyroid medication. I uh, dosed myself back to health. I used fellow patients online in free forms to sort of help guide me a little bit. And I became an expert because I had no choice but to, or I literally would have died. And what so, year was this? I'm sorry, what? What year was this? This was... Um, when I, when I got like diagnosed, I was really suffering with this was about 16 years ago when I first started really suffering. Um, I had my last bout that I fixed in about 2012 that I finally fixed. So I fixed my second bout. And meanwhile, I fixed my second bout, but I still can't lose the weight. My thyroid's fine. The numbers are good. And I still can't lose all this weight I gained. Um, I start working for Marxist and I had no idea who he was. Uh, for those of you that don't know, he's a New York Times bestselling author and basically like the grandfather sort of the paleo movement other than Lauren Cordain. And um, I started working for him. I never read his book. And next thing you know, I'm looking at Mark and his wife and I'm like, Shit, man, these guys are like 20 years older than me. They look way better than me. Like, well, this is this is messed up. And so I'm like, maybe I should maybe I should read his book, you know. Um, and so then finally I was like, oh, ding, ding, ding. These light bulbs went off, and I went paleo primal. I started going down that path, and all the light bulbs went off with all of the connections with thyroid because before that people would be like, oh, you know so much, you should write a book. And I'm like, well, I already read the best selling thyroid books out there. I don't know if there's much more I have to add to this until literally that light bulb went off. And I approached Mark and I said, hey, I found this connection. It's not a gimmick. It's da, da, da. And he's like, this is amazing. I've wanted to publish a thyroid book. And so boom, boom. And it's been a bestseller ever since. At some point, I'll probably come out with a second edition, but the Paleo Thyroid Solution has helped thousands of people around the world. And so, you know, it's one of those things where your test becomes your testimony. I had never, ever, ever intended on writing a nonfiction health book. Uh, but at the same time, as a writer in general, you know, I was compelled to. And that's the thing I'd say for anyone who even wants to be a writer or anything. It's like, are you compelled to write? Because a lot of people have this idea in their head of like, oh, a writer, that sounds like a really cool. It's like, yeah, but are you compelled to? Because I, you know, and so that was the thing. It was like, I have to, I have, it just flew out of me. Do you know what I mean? It was mm -hmm. that, that process of writing that book was just years of information and biohacking. Um, 
So when I was first suffering, there weren't any podcasts. No one knew what the word paleoprimal meant 16 years ago. So I had no resources really uh, to like people do now. People could, you know, go online and listen to 10 interviews of me and really understand the thyroid and kind of figure it out. You know what I mean? I mean, I didn't have anybody. So uh, fellow patients saved my life actually. And um, two other fellow thyroid authors, there's only two other thyroid books I do recommend other than mine. One is called Stop the Thyroid Madness by Janie Bolthorpe. And the other is called Recovering with T3 by Paul Robinson. He's written a couple of books. So those fellow patients actually helped me save my own life. Um, yeah. It's quite the story. Um, and yeah, as, as far as being an author and writing something like that, was, you know, you had the blueprint and, you know, obviously you wanted to share it with, it's just a great way to share it with everyone else. Um, what would you say, uh, I know you went through a couple of bouts of hypothyroidism, say that 10 times. <laughs> hypothyroidism. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are some of the symptoms? Like, how would someone know? What are the common symptoms? How would someone know that they're actually they might be um, having this? Sure. Well, I have like forty of them listed in my book. I had over like thirty of them. Um, I'll name some of the top ones. These yeah. go for well. So here's the thing: it's disproportionately a women's issue. Okay, so there's more women than guys that have it, but that means that a lot of guys will be discounted for it. So let me just talk about guys for a second. Um, guys will have, um, issues with like low DHEA, disrupted sleep, low testosterone. So recovery from exercise issues with possible erections, things like that when they shouldn't. Um, and if you're out there, you should be waking up with erection all the time. So, you know, that's, that's a problem if you're not. So that's how it'll manifest there in terms of the sexual kind of stuff with guys, but it also will just be like exhaustion, brain fog, inability to lose weight, uh, cold body temperature. These are universal. For women, it will manifest itself gynecologically in terms of either infertility um, or uh, miscarriages or like misdiagnoses with polycystic ovarian syndrome or cysts or anything gynecologically that's fucked up. Like whether it's like you're getting your period too much, you're not getting enough, heavy bleeding, all the yuckiness that any woman would experience, that is usually how it will manifest itself. Aside from hair falling out, dry cracked skin, heavy legs, meaning when you walk up a flight of steps, you're like, holy shit, I feel like I'm dragging cement blocks. Um, Inner itching of the ears, which can be related to candida. Uh, Thickening of the skin is something that happens called myxedema. It feels like when you you bend your leg, you feel like you just drank 10 bottles of MSG or something. Mm. It's just disgusting. and uh, waking up every morning with like a puffy face, uh, in control, uncontrollably gaining weight, the inability to lose it. And then when you're in this state, it's a disease state, the thyroid's the master gland. So you're going to get a whole shitload of other symptoms that then doctors will try to patchwork because they never found the real problem. So you might become insulin resistant. You might have issues with your lipid panel, you know, and then they'll be like, oh, you need to stand. You're like, no, 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 I need to correct the thyroid. Same goes for any of the hormonal stuff. Like, oh, your hormones are off, your hormones are off. Oh, let's, let's patch it up and give you all the hormones. No, no, no. The thyroid is the master gland of the production and regulation of all your sex hormones. So you always start with the thyroid and fix that first. And then the cascade of things usually will come into balance. You know, so for example, I had a 25 year old that came to me, a, a guy, he had low testosterone. The doctors made the big mistake of not checking his thyroid and putting him on testosterone. No 25 year old should be on testosterone unless there's some serious medical, you know, pituitary tumor, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. So it was a thyroid. It was totally screwed up. Once you fix the thyroid, the testosterone levels will go back up to normal. So you never want to introduce that kind of stuff unless you have ruled out this main thing, which most doctors don't. Same goes for I'm depressed. You can be very depressed because we have more receptors for the biologically active thyroid hormone in our brain. So you'll have like messy, another symptom, uh, messy handwriting, your brain to hand dexterity, uh, tripping over everything, like knocking over stuff and being uncoordinated when normally you're coordinated, you know, um, mental stuff, not being able to read, write, comprehend, being sensitive to light, sound, and smells. That's usually an adrenal thing. Um, and overall is general sense of malaise and exhaustedness, like this brain fog. And the way that I described is everybody listening has had a cold before where you're all stuffed up and you're just, it's one of the, you know, we've all know it. Like you're staring into space all day. You're blowing your nose. Nothing's fun. Nothing's like, it does not fun to watch a movie. It's not fun to eat. Like nothing's fun. You're just brain dead. That is exactly what it feels like nonstop, except without the stuffiness. Um, so people can, you know, get in car accidents. You just, you, you're, you're really not thinking right. And it also, uh, you know, you, you become very depressed. And again, you can give someone Prozac. It'll last a couple of months and then it won't work because you never got to the problem. So Everybody should be testing their thyroid comprehensively once a year with the, uh, 
with their annual physical and they don't in most places don't take all the tests so this is something that the onus is on you out there as a patient to make sure that that's working right and then if you go to a doctor and anyone tells you something's wrong well you check your thyroid first and see mm -hmm. if that's any issue because from that spawns all the problems if it's off and so again it's the master gland not because i say it is it's just because it is yeah yeah and uh i'm sure a lot of people like you mentioned get misdiagnosed um exactly. yeah all the time and you sort let me of tell you about one that happened yesterday because this mm. is a frick up one. Oh my god all right girl's 23 she comes to me and I, I look at her labs and her, she, has, she has Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune form of hypothyroidism. And uh, you, know, you can you get hypothyroidism in a variety of ways. You can give it to yourself by starving yourself or over-exercising, you know, over but you can also just have an autoimmune form. And this, we know how to, there's things that contribute to the autoimmunity spiking, but put that aside for a second. She, her two Hashimoto's antibodies were very high. And, um, you know, I said to her, I was like, well, you know, okay, we, we have to attack the antibodies first. She was eating a lot of gluten and things that we know contribute to antibodies. And so it was like, okay, let's try a natural clean up the diet. But also uh, what happened was that she had two different doctors. One was an endocrinologist. One took a stool sample and said, I think you have MS off of a stool sample. That is borderline malpractice. That is not a thing. That's not how you test MS. The other doctor goes, I think you have lupus based on nothing. Now they took the ANA test, which can be one of those, which is basically like, does this person have an autoimmune disorder? So when it came back positive, they've just thrown out MS and lupus from a stool test and a random thing without going, yeah, of course you have an autoimmune disorder. It's called Hashimoto's. It's over here. We're looking at it right here. Mm. Imagine that in within one week, two doctors go, you have lupus and you have MS like in a letter eh, I've determined you have lupus, best regards, your doctor, like, thanks for no advice. What do I do with this? You just told me I have MS. A couple days later, doctor tells her I have lupus. This is, this is really messed up. And this yeah. is how it goes all the time for me when I talk to people. So, you know, thankfully she got on board with me and uh, I sent her to the, the doctor on my book actually, and she's on the right track, but this is what happens all the time. These misdiagnoses and, um, and you think you go, but these people went to Harvard but they have a Harvard degree. Some of the dumbest doctors I've ever met have Ivy League degrees. This means nothing, people. These people are outdated and steeped in 40-year-old protocols, and they've never learned anything since medical school. And frankly, they weren't even taught the right shit in medical school. So it's only the doctors that really go above and beyond their training and are like totally on it. Who are those doctors? Those doctors are always the doctors that don't take insurance because they don't want to be dictated by an insurance company. You have to pay out of pocket for, and they're usually functional MDs, truly integrative physicians, naturopaths, et cetera because they're spending two hours with you, not 15. They are not just taking a CBC and a dumb lipid panel. They are going in depth to some genetic testing, to inflammatory markers that are key, to looking deeper into these problems. So if you really have an issue and you're thinking your insurance doctor is going to take care of it, you are in for a long haul, painful journey. So, you know, how badly do you want to get better? And I ask this to people, I go, what's your health worth? Oh, no, uh, any amount of money. It's priceless. Right. Well, great. Then kick up the money for it, you dumbass, because this is what's going to happen. And this happens all the time. People will even listen to me or coach with me and I'll tell them all this. And in their head, they're still like, yeah, but I want to stick with my insurance. Yeah. They always come back like six months, a year later, like still sicker, even worse now, because now a year has gone by and they finally then realize. So please learn the lesson. If you've got something that you don't know what's up to tackle, it's going to a regular doctor is probably not going to get you the answers. There are few of them worth their weight. I'll tell you a perfect example. I go to, uh, I have my functional doctor. That's the doctor on my book who doesn't take insurance. And then I have my, you know, standard insurance doctor you go to through like the mammogram request and the, you know, the annual physical stuff. And she's obese, just number one. Um, and then I go in there and um, I said to her, hey, look, you know, I'm an author. I want to be honest. I write a book about uninformed doctors. <laughs> like, you know, I just to be honest with you. I, I deal with another doctor for my stuff. Do you mind um, taking the test that he suggests I get taken because you know they're going to be more than what she would do. And she looks at all of them in the office and she goes, okay, I have no problem ordering these. I just don't know what some of them are. Now, okay, uh, kudos for not pretending you knew what they are. But then my second thing would be like, bitch, did you go look that stuff up afterwards and figure out what it was? Because I know you didn't. She didn't. I know she didn't. Mm -hmm. Now, 
that's that that's the problem because she should go that's interesting what's this other doctor what's galactin three what's the what's the this other doctor suggesting to me you know suggesting that i take these tests i don't know what they are maybe i should go find out nope meanwhile in that same uh meeting she pushed three vaccines on me pneumonia flu and shingles and I was like, listen, I haven't gotten the flu since I was a kid and I've never gotten the flu shot. I'm not doing it. Now I'm not against other people doing it. It's just my personal decision to not right. do it. Um, you know, and so this is kind of like, <laughs> this is just the Western medicine model. Like there's nothing. And then what's funny is, is I did a, I did an experiment during the pandemic because uh, uh, I wasn't going to see anyone. And I figured, you know, let me get off thyroid medication and try one more time and just see if anything happens. And in that process, I got a little chunky, no big deal. Just go right back to normal. But she had seen that my weight had gone up when I, because I went to her again, you know, this year recently and mm -hmm. she's, and she's obese. And she says to me, so what's going on with your weight? And I was like, Oh my God. And I was like, yeah, yeah, no, I didn't experiment. I got, I, it's fine. It's going to be, I'm not worried about it. It's not that much. I'll figure it out. Like I'm not, don't worry about me. Right. But I was also like, have you not taken your own weight? You are obese. So, you know, this is just really interesting. Um, got getting weight shamed by a, by an obese doctor. So this is kind of what you're dealing with when you're dealing with an insurance doctor who has 15 minutes. They are there to prescribe you a pill or surgery. End of story. They don't know anything about nutrition. They never learned anything about nutrition. They don't know what to do. So if you're looking for a doctor to save you, you are going to have a terrible experience. Good luck. Instead, you are better off learning it yourself. Someone diagnoses you with something, you better become the expert. Yeah. You might be able to help your doctor help you 100%. Yeah, and, and talking about diet, um, what, what were some, some of the type of things that you did to help um, with your condition and, and that you helped with you know, your clients as far as eating and things like that? Are there certain foods that could trigger this? Is it, yeah. is it, is it mainly genetics or, you know? Sometimes. Um, so if you have a lot of autoimmunity in your family, you might be a candidate there. So let me talk about the different types. So hypothyroidism is sub, you know, underactive, slow, sluggish. That's why your temperature, you're always cold, freezing, you know, nothing's working. You're constipated. That's another huge symptom I might as might mention. And constipation that like nothing fixes, no matter what you do, like laxatives, whatever, that kind of thing. Um, Let's talk about autoimmune disorders. So Hashimoto's is an autoimmune disorder that affects the thyroid. And so in this case, what happens is your immune system makes a mistake and it starts murdering your thyroid. It just starts attacking it. Just like any other immune disorder. So like MS, uh, your immune system makes a mistake and starts attacking the myelin sheaths on the nerves. And that's why you have horrible symptoms there. Same thing with rheumatoid arthritis, starts taxing the joints, right? Then you have fused bones and all sorts of issues with pain there, mm -hmm. um, et cetera, et cetera. So this is no different. The one thing we 100% know for sure is that gluten ignites the antibodies because the gluten protein is very similar to thyroid tissue. So when that enters the body, the immune system will keep making that mistake and keep attacking it. So what we've seen is when people go on a gluten-free, what paleo is essentially, if you're, if you're doing strict paleo, it's no grains, no beans, no legumes, and no dairy, maybe occasional dairy. And I mean that in terms of like maybe heavy whipping cream, but for the most part, no. And if you have Hashimoto's, it's about how quickly do you want to get better? You've got to be strict. doesn't mean if you have Hashimoto's, you're never going to be able to eat a piece of Chicago glutinous pizza again. It just means you got to get these antibodies down or to undetectable levels. And that is your goal as a person with any autoimmune disorder. I have a friend who cured herself of rheumatoid arthritis. What does that mean? She was in a wheelchair for years, had surgeries, fused wrists, everything. Put a, she was a chef. Finally figured it out food-wise, fixed herself, dropped 40 pounds in a wheelchair, and lower her antibodies to the point where when, if you were to test her blood today for rheumatoid arthritis, nothing. Meanwhile, 10 years, doctors were like, you're never getting out of the wheelchair. Sorry, it's just the way it is. Just the way it is. So she was relegated to a life in a wheelchair and all it had to do with was food. And there are lots of people like this. I'll just rattle off a couple authors that have done this um, so that if anyone out there has these conditions or know people, refer them to Palmer Kippola. She wrote a book called Beat Autoimmune. She cured herself of MS. So did Terry Walls. She has a very more serious uh, condition of it. There is a chef called Seamus Mullen. He cured himself of rheumatoid arthritis. And then there's also Courtney Contos, my friend, uh, ccontos.com. She's the one who I just told you about. So we know that foods affect autoimmune disorders, particularly gluten um, and grains and beans and legumes because of the lectins. So there is something called the paleo AIP or autoimmune protocol. There are people with autoimmune disorders that have found that they are particularly sensitive to things like nightshades or things high in histamines. That includes like cinnamon. 
you know what I mean? Or certain foods. So it's a stricter food list of paleo, right? But it's, and it's designed to be temporary or long-term, but at least to like get this thing under control and then you can mess around with it. So for example, uh, one of the success stories in my book who didn't necessarily eat gluten every day, but regularly throughout the week, a little pasta dinner, a little bread with, uh, they had bread almost every, every dinner. Mm -hmm. And she had Hashimoto's and she was on thyroid hormone replacement. She's feeling good, but her antibodies are still at like 400. And she doesn't know, because her doctor doesn't know, that you can actually do something about that. And so here's the point. If you're out there and you have an autoimmune disorder and you're feeling good because you're on a medication or a thyroid hormone or something like that, you still do not want these antibodies in the background. They are a silent killer. The higher the antibodies, antibodies equal inflammation, equal be getting more autoimmune issues. You have a higher percentage of chance uh, with certain Hashimoto's levels of having giving birth to a, ch a child with autism spectrum disorder. I mean, these are, these are no joke. If you have a certain um, couple Hashimoto, there's two Hashimoto antibodies, depending on how high it is or depending on which one you have, it could increase your chances of cancers by like 200 something fold percent. I mean, this is ridiculous and you can, and we can do something about it. Most doctors don't know you can do something about it because they don't understand diet and the way food affects us. So they'll just look at someone who's on medication, look at their labs. Are oh, you feeling good? Everything good? Great. Oh, well, your antibodies are still 300. Well, you have Hashimoto. So there's the antibodies. No. The goal is get them down. So she quit gluten. She went paleo. She got them down the lowest in her life. Like we're talking 30 years of being hypothyroid. She got them down from like three, 400, like 375, like 400 to 25. To 20. That's, wow. that's the goal. And that's what you see when you eliminate this stuff. The antibodies go down. Antibodies equal inflammation. Inflammation is at the root of every disease. You do not need antibodies from an autoimmune disorder coming in there and wreaking havoc. And everything else. So let's cut to like, oh, we're in COVID times. Oh my God, if your antibodies are out of control with Hashimoto's, you are really at risk. And in fact, you're one of those people that if you had to go to the hospital, you are more inclined to have a cytokine storm. Like you are more inclined to have a bad situation happen because your antibodies are already, your immune system is already just wreaking havoc. Mm. So, hey, like we have to get this under control. So even if you feel good, but you keep having high antibodies and you don't think that matters, it matters. And your goal should be to get them down to the lowest level possible or undetected, um, kind of like a remission, right? So that's, right. that's Hashimoto's. And we know for sure that grains and other things affect that. Um, for example, even quinoa, which is a pseudo grain affects a friend of mine who has a family history of RA. So she went strict paleo and she'll notice that even if she eats a little bit of gluten, like a couple of bites, does it cheat like every now and then the next day she'll wake up and can't button her shirt. So, so we do know how applicable food is to this. And then there's a deeper level if you have an autoimmune disorder that you might have to go into. For example, like I said about the nightshades and the histamines, but also things like uh, paprika is a seasoning, but it's got, it's red color. It comes from, uh, I forget what it comes to, is it a certain kind of pepper or something. Either yeah. way, like red color seasonings, sometimes people realize that this is affecting them. So like you're putting cinnamon in your coffee every morning and you have no idea <laughs> that you right. are doing this to yourself. So um so food is a big factor. The other part of this too is this, of uh, paleo, ancestral, primal, evolutionary, it's all the same word, all the same term, I mean, all the same thing, that this paradigm of high fat, moderate protein, low carb, and the activity and lifestyle that goes along with it, which most people don't understand, this is not just a food list. When you have these two things together, it is, it creates the most optimal based on our DNA and what it prescribes of us as humans in an ancestral way, it it is the, the, the best platform for not only the production and regulation of sex, of sex hormones in your thyroid, et cetera, but not only output, but also is it gonna get metabolized correctly? Because if your cortisol and your glucose is off and everything's screwed up, then you, your thyroid hormones can't get to where they need to go. Mm -hmm. You know, Even if you're making them yourself and you don't have to take thyroid hormone replacement like I do. Um, and even if I do take, you know, I do take thyroid hormone replacement and other people do too. Do you want that shit to work really well and get to where it needs to go? Then you need to provide the best platform for it. And that would be the paleo primal paradigm. Doesn't mean you have to eat red meat. I would say it would be extremely difficult to be paleo or primal as a vegan. Um, yeah. I, I don't even know how you would say to do that other than like some supplements and You'd have to live off of nuts and seeds, but a lot of those people eat a shitload of beans and rice. You know what I mean? Um, so I don't, that would be a tough call, but you could be a pescatarian or a vegetarian if you're just someone that eats eggs or, or maybe it's just like you, you're okay with some, you know, collagen or whey protein and that you're fine with that um, or, or fish, et cetera. But for the most part, yeah, it's, um, 
I obviously believe in ancestral health, um, but that that's sort of the connection. Yeah. And actually you, you brought it up sort of nuts and seeds. What's your thoughts on that? Because mm. you sort of hear differing. I would say that. real moderation. It's a trouble source for a lot of people, including myself. Cause let's be honest. I mean, if, mm. if people don't know this, a shot glass of nuts, that's a serving. Right. Fuck that. Have you ever eaten just a shot glass of nuts, man? No, I'm like there with I, a handful of pistachios. Like I can't oh stop. Right? Pistachio nuts. Yeah. Pistachios are the best. Macadamia. So, mm. ugh, yeah. And now I'll throw this out because you interviewed Brad, right? Brad Kerr, yeah. we'll give a shout out. He made this <laughs> nut butter called Macadamia Masterpiece. I, he sent so, me one. It's very good. It's it's too good though. Like it's right. it's it's almost too good. We were like, dude, half the jar is gone now. So nuts can be a real problematic thing. I think when people are starting, and at least when I did, I made the mistake, even though I had Mark Sisson right there every day to, to talk to. I went up to him once. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I just, uh, and he was like, Well, like if you're snacking, like what do you go for? And I'm like, nuts. He's like, ah, ding ding ding, mistake. So the thing is, is that people don't realize how much they overeat that. And by the time you're done, you've got a thousand eight hundred to a thousand calories worth of just nuts, and you've blown your day, right? Um, and even though we're not a focused calories in calories out thing, right. that's ridiculous. So I try to stay away. I mean, I love them. Of <laughs> course I, I eat it, but you know, I try not to buy big bags of it and things like that, because that to me is almost too tempting. You mean um, buying a five pound bag of pistachio nuts is not good. <laughs> <laughs> it, could, it could go in the wrong direction depending on how much you're hitting that bag. So, so I think nuts are a slippery slope with people. They're on the list, and I'm, I'm, I'm I, but I would say you use sparingly and right, like a cheap food, maybe. Out. Right. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about cheap foods because that that that's I I do like like nuts and seeds quite a bit, and uh, I've actually went from you talk about pescatarian. I was a pescatarian for a long while, and then I've actually gotten a little bit more into eating meat, probably when the, when the whole quarantine started, um, I got into it. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm pretty active myself and it definitely made a difference. Just the quality source of protein. I mean, I'm getting grass fed, grass finished meat, you know, responsibly raised and things like that. Mm-hmm. Such a difference in my, in my body. Like people ask me, like, cause I looked like I was thicker and stronger. I'm like, well, what have you done differently? And that was like the main thing. That I did, you know, you is- know, have you guys ever seen, if anyone's listening, have you ever seen that movie Dallas Buyers Club with uh, Matthew McConaughey about the back of AIDS medication? And he had to get real skinny to look like an AIDS victim. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was bad. Like he looked really like, you know, he looked like a skeleton. Right. And I was reading that in order to do that, not surprisingly, he just ate lean fish, egg whites and like veggies, you know, and I'm sure he ate very little of it, but there's a reason he took the red meat out of there too. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And he didn't work out because he didn't want to build any kind of muscle. Right. So yeah, I'm not surprised that your physique improved when you added meat to it. Yeah. Yeah. Quality meat. And, um, and let me mention that too, because if anyone's out there, uh, Rep Provisions, REP, Rep Provisions, they are a regenerative agriculture company. Um, I've interviewed the owner. They're really incredible what they're doing for the, for the earth. I order all of their food and it's amazing. Um, they actually offer, their, they offer one of the highest percentages off if you use code KICKASSLIFE, one word. Oh, cool. So I just wanted to throw that out to people if you want to try. <laughs> yeah, use it. Their bone broth, their chicken and their beef broth is amazing. Their ground beef's the best stuff I've ever had. They've got big, huge tomahawk ribeye. I should probably grab one. This thing is so fucking um, won't fit on the screen. I should, I should, I should, I should I go get it and show you. That's okay. All right. <laughs> all um, right. So yeah. So, but, but just so you know, if anyone wants to try their stuff, you know, Hey, 15% off is like the highest they give with that. Um, but yeah, I think it's really important. I mean, butcher box is another good company as well that does grass fed delivery and things Force like that. Nature is what I've been using. Yeah. Place. Or go to eatwild.com and or.org and there'll be a list of things. There's, um, wild oak pastures, white yeah. oak pastures, sorry. Oak, yeah. So there's lots of great companies that are doing this that can deliver it right to your door. Um, do you need and have to eat this kind of stuff? If, you, if, if you're really on a tight budget and you can't, no, I would just do your best. And if then, if you can't do that, then make sure you're trying to get organic vegetables, you know, do your best to be clean. Um, but the best you can do is be eating from these food groups if you can't afford the stuff. But I will say this, a lot of people think paleo primal is so expensive because they're like, oh, it's grass fed and all this stuff and that shit's more expensive. But here's the thing, and, and maybe you've experienced this too, but most people who go from a carbohydrate dependent standard American BS whatevers into paleo primal health realize that over time, this is just true, you become 
metabolically more efficient and then you become calorically efficient and you end up eating less than you did. I used to be able to pile away a steak and a half. I can't even do that now. I'm shocked that I can't eat the amount that I used to. Now, for someone that's a food addict out there, you're like, ah, shit, I don't want to hear that. I want to be eating more food than I'm eating now. I can't even think about that. But I will tell you that that's just because you're a food addict. (laughs) And, And what Paleo Primal does and the biggest success story we have at the Primal Blueprint um, at marksdailyapple.com is, you know, every week someone's like, oh, I lost hundred pounds or my skin disease cleared, or I, you know, I got rid of rheumatoid arthritis. But the thoroughfare is, oh my God, I'm not addicted to food anymore. I don't think about food anymore. Holy right. shit, what a new world. So back to the finances, you end up actually spending less money on your food when you right. go through this process. Now, maybe not the first month, maybe the first month you're overeating fat, you're overeating nuts, you're overeating. Okay. But as you go down the line, you're going to be like, I can't even finish this. This steak is now two meals, you know? So I feel like it is cheaper in the long run. Um, but at first it might seem like it's more expensive, but even if you can't buy grass fed and organic, just at least do the, the food list and the paradigm the best you can, that's going to be better Right. You got to start somewhere and then you can sort of build from there. And it, um, you talk about saving money and a big part of what I, what got me into the health world is intermittent fasting. Oh yeah. Yeah. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that. I mean, you know, like talk about realizing, you know, your true hunger, your, I guess, true hunger hormones and just how your body feels like when you're just like, you realize that skipping a meal is really not a big deal. And that's another way to save money and save time and be flexible. And, and, um, so yeah, speak on that maybe regarding your clients. Well, I intermittent fast a lot, mostly because I'm not a breakfast person. I like to work out in the morning. I don't like a full stop. I don't know. Just right. not, I'm not into it. There's some people that are the opposite. They don't like dinner and they love breakfast. Okay. Whatever. Um, right. so, so for example, yesterday, I woke up, had coffee, um, I, with nothing, you know, nothing in it. I went on a 25 minute walk, came home, did about 15 minutes of weight. Mm-hmm. Then I drove and I swam for 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Then I came home and I didn't eat until 3 p.m. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But before that, sorry, I'll take it back. Before that, a few hours before I ate, maybe 12 after I came back from my swim, I did have a scoop of like Primal Kitchen whey. And I had a scoop of Paleo Valley greens just as a, because I don't like the feeling of food or, you know what I mean? I just wasn't hungry, hungry, but I wanted some protein after that workout and some sort of something. That's it. So that was like my first quote meal, not really. And then I ate my main meal, you know, all around three or four. So most people would not be able to do that. But if you can't do that, that means you are carbohydrate dependent because when you are a fat burner versus a sugar burner, you are able to do that. In fact, I probably could have gone several days and nothing would have happened. My muscles wouldn't have catabolized. I wouldn't have had some hangry meltdown. I might've had a moment of like, okay, I'm kind of hungry, but I wouldn't have like lost my shit, had a mental breakdown crashed, been like, oh my God. That's why when people do fasts and they're, they eat junk and then they're like, whatever, they'll say they just normal person does a fast. It's like the third day, they're always like, oh my God, I feel amazing. Like, wait till you hit the third day. You're like, yeah, girl, because the third day is when your body was like, this chick's starving. Let's start producing ketones. Mm -hmm. That's like why they felt so great in the brain and enlightened is because now their brain is functioning off of ketones because they're in ketosis. Um, so, So that's really what happens. So if you are a fat burner, you can go much longer and uh, without having any kind of adverse symptoms. When I was a sugar burner and four hours would go by, empty brain, hangry, oh my God, so hungry, I'm mad, I'm freaking out, my brain can't think, it's kind of headachey, empty, weird, just a weird feeling, have to like pull over to a grocery store, shove food in my mouth just to make it an extra half an hour home because I couldn't handle being in the car any longer with this feeling. That's not right. (laughs) That's not how our ancestors operated because that is not when our DNA dictates of us. Yeah. And, and I think it takes, for a lot of people, it takes time to get to that point, become like a fat burner. Um, it does. It takes time. You got to like yeah. ease into this. I mean, it takes 30 days to really get these switches going and to satiate the hunger, but you know, it can take some time and it depends on where you are. Um, there's also this, you know, there's this concept of autophagy, you know, sure. and Mark Sisson would say the best stuff that's happening to us is when we're not eating. That's when the body goes in and does its own cleaning out, getting rid of dirty cells and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's important. There are times when I don't, for example, if I am hungry in the morning, I wouldn't be happy about it because it kind of screws up my own personal thing. I honor it though. 
I'll still honor it. I'll eat a little something. It maybe it's a bite of leftover salmon. Maybe it's just a piece of steak. Maybe it's some, you know, I love carnivore crisps, like beef liver. Maybe I'll just throw in some beef. I'll do something, even though that's not usually my jam, because I'm also going on my intuition. And I'm not going to go, I'm a person that intermittent fast. I'm not supposed to eat before. No, (laughs) that day I'm hungry. I'm going to eat. Yeah. So I think it's very important, but you can't get to the intuitive place until you've locked down in this kind of environment for about a month strictly. And then you're, you're satiated and now the, the switches are turned and now you're really operating from a different level. And at, and at that point, right. yeah, that's, yeah. Right. Eating off your intuition, right? That's, you know, as opposed to just eating off the clock, what time it is, right? Absolutely. And, and it's so much better too. And this is what people don't realize. And, you know, Mark's better at explaining it than I am, but if you're a sugar burner, then you better eat within an hour after working out because your muscles are going to catabolize. When you are a fat burner, it doesn't matter. There aren't those rules. Now, if you were a bodybuilder type and you were in this paradigm, yeah, then of course, within an hour after working out, if you really wanted to maximize that, yeah, you should eat protein. But those rules aren't there any longer when you are a uh, fat burner. But when you're a sugar burner, yeah, you better be on the treadmill burning off the glucose you just ate the night before. Oh, and then yeah, when you get out of working out, you better eat protein because if you're a sugar burner, hour four, five comes around your muscles will start to catabolize, but not so when you're a fat burner. And I remember this, and this is what's so weird. Back in the day, like 15 years ago or so more, I had a friend, we were in LA, who was doing the zone delivery, the zone diet, you know, mm-hmm. which is like three meals, two snacks, just the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's doing the, de- <laughs> right. So they're doing the delivery. They measured all the stuff and he worked out every day. He was really fit. And um, I remember him saying this and it didn't make sense until... 20 years later when I, and this is related to what I just said, which is he was sitting there and we're, we're, he's eating his thing and, we're having, and he's like, I feel like I need to call the zone. I think something's off. And I go, why? What do you, he goes, I don't think, he goes, I know this sounds weird. I feel like my muscles are eating themselves. That's literally what he said to me. And we laughed about it. And I was like, I didn't understand it. And then I called him like 15 years later. I'm like, oh my God, dude, your muscles were catabolizing. Them. They were eating themselves. I had no, so what's weird is that like, he felt it. He felt it. He felt something was off there. And I remember being like, whatever, dude. Okay. I don't know. You know? And then when I learned about this so many years later, I was like, oh my God, that comment, that comment came right back because I was like, how true, how true the statement he made. And he didn't even know the mechanisms by which a statement like that could be made. He just said what he was feeling. So that's not fun. Who wants that? (laughs) So you put all this work in and then you're screwed because hour four went by and you missed food for a couple more hours. That's dumb. Yeah. Inefficient. What, what would you say um, your routine? I know you talked a little bit about it. Um, what's your eating routine? And um, yeah, what's your typical meal? Um, like I said, I'm like one meal a day, kind of maybe two, but the first one would be really light. Okay. Um, I usually eat animal protein of some kind or fish, you know, so I usually eat something that had a parent. <laughs> mm. But uh, but not always. It's rare, but this, occasionally there's a day where I'm like, I just don't feel, I just went vegetables or something. Like, that can happen. And I go with that. I go with that too. Um, what so vegetables? Because you, you, know, you know, you talk about nightshades and I used yeah. to be a, used to eat well, a lot of vegetables. A- yeah. I don't have an autoimmune disorder, but I do have a little bit of a histamine intolerance. So tomatoes don't work well with me. I don't actually do well with nightshades. Um, And like eggplant can make my mouth a little itchy. Um, You know, so so, uh, vegetables. So either literally during pandemic, I'll take a bag of frozen vegetables, throw it in the instant pot with some bone broth and just make like a dumb soup Mm. just to get it in there. Um, Aside from on the days when I don't eat vegetables, which sometimes I don't, sometimes I have a carnivore day. Right. Just because I'm not feeling vegetables, that's okay too. On those days, though, and almost every day, I do like Paleo Valley greens powder or something, you know. And then um, veggies got everything from collard greens. Sometimes I'll take a piece of bacon, throw some collard greens in the instant pot, and do some stuff with some bone broth. Um, I love salads. I love romaine lettuce. I love making BLTs with lettuce. So using like primal mayo, you like the you know sometimes not the tomato if I if I know I'll get a reaction, but I love uh, doing that. And I mean, I kind of eat all vegetables, you know, every once in a while I have a potato, every once in a while I have spaghetti squash or something like that, like a, you know, but for the most part, I stick to like the greens and, um, you know, the quality, the quality protein. Gotta love the instant pot. I just made butternut oh my squash. God, I, love it. I just made a butternut squash soup last night. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. The instant pot is actually amazing. I mean, if, 
I was scared of it at first because it had all these things on like it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought well, it was going to explode. explode. Yeah. Totally. But I will say this, what's amazing about it is like you can literally throw a piece of frozen fish in there and that <laughs> shit is cooked perfectly in three minutes. That's insane. You know, you can make, I love cooking short ribs, short ribs. If you cook them in the oven, do it right. Take three, three and a half hours, you know, or things like, um, oxtails. Um, those things take forever in the oven, instant pot, 55 minutes. So yeah, really a great thing. If you guys out there, it's almost like it. dumb proof. <laughs> It, it really is. And it's you know, worth it. It's, it's really, really Once you learn it. about the ceiling, you got that down. Yeah. Then like, you're good to go. You could throw like, you know, half the kitchen in there and something will come out. It'll be halfway decent. <laughs> Absolutely. So I do a lot of that. I'll do a lot of stews and things like that. Um, yeah. I mean, I pretty much eat everything. I'm allergic to shellfish, so I don't really eat that, but I eat everything. I have a lot of cod and wild salmon in my mm -hmm. uh, freezer right now, but my freezer right now is just packed with grass fed and, you know, yeah. animals basically. Yeah. 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 It's great to have that delivered and just have it on hand. And uh, especially with the, the, the pandemic and staying home and cooking for yourself all the time, you know? Absolutely. It just, it's like, like before the pandemic, I would go to the grocery store every couple of days, even though I'd always have some meat in my freezer, but I still like to kind of go to the store and, and now I'm getting everything delivered and, you know, I get my vegetables delivered too. So I, I use a company, I think they're only in California, but they're called farm fresh to you. I know there's others where every week I get a vegetable box and I can choose what I want. And so I switch it up. So for example, I'll be like, Oh, you know what? When's the last time I had purple cabbage? All right. Let's throw that in there. You know, mm -hmm. I'll just be like, oh, I got the other day, a friend of mine told me they're like, oh, I roasted radishes. They are delicious. They're not bitter. They're sweet. They're amazing. I'm like, that sounds good. I have, I don't know when the last time I had a radish. Let me throw that into the box. So I will just kind of do that every week. And I love that because I know I'm getting organic fresh produce, but I'm also getting to really decide. And they usually have the things that are only in season. So I'm eating more, you mm -hmm. know, with the circadian rule of what is happening here with the farms and, um, so I will just randomly try that or an herb, like randomly. I was like, you know, I love dill. And I was thinking about, so I got some dill and I was thinking about using it for fish, which most people do. And then I randomly sauteed some mushrooms with some butter and threw mm. dill in there. Oh, oh yeah. shit. It, it was like amazing. I don't even, I'm like, well, I just discovered a new, so I just will experiment with that. But again, I, I stick to the, the green leafy veggies. Um, I love Brussels sprouts and things like that. I, mm. I try not to. Those are tough to prepare though. Right. They are. And I try not. And even though in the thyroid world, they always say, oh, broccoli, like Paul Saladino would say, broccoli is destroying your thyroid. Mm -hmm. um, some people say, well, if you cook these cruciferous vegetables, they're not as antagonistic to the thyroid. You know what? Uh, the jury's a little bit out on both. I would say that if you're suffering with a thyroid problem and you're trying to correct it normally, you might want to cook these cruciferous vegetables. Um, other than that, I just because I know what I know and the jury's a little bit out, even though I take thyroid hormones, so I'm not really relying on my own production. I, I try to limit those things because I can, I love Brussels sprouts. I love that stuff, but I, I try to limit it a little bit. Um, right. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think genetic testing and things like this can be really helpful. I learned that I had a process, an issue processing foods high in sulfur. That's eggs. I always had an issue with garlic. I sometimes broccoli doesn't go great for me too. So, you know, there's so many ways to figure out what's right for you. I did a food sensitivity test at one point, um, you know, and then aside from the 23andMe, you take that raw data and you can look at it. And so quitting eggs for me was one of the best things. It's not to say that I don't ever not never eat them but I can't eat them regularly. And it was only through the process of eliminating it, reintroducing, seeing the reaction. And I'm not allergic to it on a test. It's not even on my food sensitivity. It's N equals one plus a genetic component that makes total sense. Um, so onions, things like that, things high in sulfur. And I love that stuff, but you know, it, it can be a little bit problematic for me. So again, there's so many ways to detect what you, what might be right for you. There's people that take a food sensitivity test and they've got pork and meat on there. Then don't eat that shit. You know what I mean? Like maybe that's them and it can change over time, but everyone's unique. You know, you, you got to do what's right for you and what you like. I go with what I crave a lot. Um, it's been harder over the pandemic to kind of plan with the, the food, the food, the, you know, the vegetable box and stuff. Cause I just right. kind of go with what I'm, what I'm feeling. Um, and I think that that's important to honor. Once you are past the stage of now you're a fat burner and you can become more intuitive. Uh, like for example, if I'm just like craving fish for a couple of days, like, okay. Or I'm just craving cucumbers or like 
blackberries or what it doesn't matter what it is like i i will eat it i mean not donuts necessarily but you know so i uh, i go with that because there's there's something there you know yeah no i mean <clears throat> i was going to ask you um i know we talked about a lot about thyroid but your other book uh confident as f-u-c-k and uh, um what would you well, we say we can keep it disney friendly and say as f confident as f if you want what would you say what's one big takeaway from that book that someone can get yeah well this is what everyone really needs to know first of all no one's gonna do it for you no Mm -hmm. ain't no one gonna do it for you you are the only one that can give yourself confidence you are uh you might have had a shitty parent told you were worth nothing grew up that way that's okay but you got a parent yourself now so this is up to everybody to do it you're not going to get it from an external source um you will eventually you people sure external sources can help increase self-esteem and confidence but this is the one if i had to take one main takeaway i'd say this Mm -hmm. confidence is not an anchored fixed quality within you it is the sum of the actions you think and the thoughts that sorry it's the sum of the thoughts you think and the actions you take so because everybody has the choice to change the thought, thoughts and change their actions everybody has access to this it, it has to be built from within but you have the ability to increase your confidence and the reason you want it is because you don't get what you want in life without it you have to speak up at every turn i don't care if you're a stay-at-home mom you're gonna have to go talk to some shitty mom at the pta meeting and or stand up to a teacher or speak up for your kid um in business everywhere self-promotion you know um half the reason there's hundreds of interviews of me out there is because when I first wrote my book, I pounded the pavement and went out there and pimped myself out and sold myself. You, Mm -hmm. we are in a world of self-promotion. No one's really going to do it for you unless you hire a PR firm. So, so at the end of the day, you need confidence at every level. Um, it's not about being a public speaker or some badass. Some of the quietest people are the most confident people I've ever met. So this is not about being a talkative extrovert. But it is about feeling good in your body and your mind and who you are everywhere you go. And that you have, if I had to define confidence as anything, I'd say it's a general sense that you will prevail either at a specific activity or in life in general. Yeah. Well, I like to hear that because I'm, I'm, I'm a lifetime golfer and, you know, confidence can be fleeting, especially in sports and in golf. And you're always trying to find ways to gain it. Um, well, you know, let's talk about golf for a second. Now I'm not a golfer, but mm-hmm. I have a couple of uh, friends that go golfing together and they always complain about this other friend because every time he shoots oh. a thing, it's always like, ah, oh, it's terrible. I'm horrible. You know, ah, damn son of a bitch. Yeah. No one likes playing. Stuff. No one likes playing with someone that just like, is like self pity. And that's right. That's uh, right. So if every shot, so I mean, again, <laughs> what a lack of like, and here's the thing, we don't find it attractive or in, in anybody. No one else cares either. Yeah, like no one else cares. And also just, right, yeah. Well, it's also not the, ma- not the way to manifest a good golf swing. Right. That, you're not using intention correctly there. In fact, if anything, you are just furthering your bad, bad shots. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and I think the big thing, not to get off on a golf thing, I could talk yeah. an hours about golf, but uh, like self-talk, because um, I coach high school golf, and I mm. tell the kids, you got to be your biggest you know, cheerleader out there because no one else, I think you can learn a lot of lessons with golf, but no one else, everyone's on their own doing their own thing. That's life, baby. That's life. Yeah. So you got to be able to pump yourself out. out You have to be, you have to be your own encourager. Otherwise here's what happens. You've got a parent or a teacher or an extra neighbor, whatever, whoever raised you, whoever's in your sphere, you've got these, whatever, maybe they're negative downers. Maybe they did tell you like, "Mm, I don't know, maybe you should just be this. I don't know that you're meant for that or whatever. They're downering your dreams. Are you going to let those people be correct? Are you going to let someone else's story about you manifest and self-fulfilled prophecy? That's up to you. They're not holding you back. You're holding yourself back. Don't let them be right. Not if I can help it. They're not going to be right. No, they don't get to win. That shitty parent who told you were worth nothing. They don't get to fucking win. Fuck them. I'm sorry. I'm swearing. But it's true. It's really like, no, no. And you know, one of the things I say in my book is your victim application has been denied. I talked to a 50 year old woman once and she was complaining about her mother. And she's like, you know, if my mother had just pushed me further and disciplined me more, I'd probably be successful by now, blah, blah, blah. And you could tell she was just not happy where she was in life, but constantly blaming on her mom. I said, Hey, question, how old you're 50 now? How old were you when you kind of maybe thought, ah, my mom sucked. Nah, she wasn't that great. You know, when did you realize this about her? And she goes, I don't know. Maybe I was like 30. I said, so you've had 20 fucking years and you haven't done anything. 
to mm. motivate yourself. Knowing this, knowing this, I wish you would have motivated me more for 20 years. Where was your self-motivation? Why didn't yeah. you get off that hamster wheel, cancel that story and do it yourself? Yeah. So yeah. You, you, no one's going to do this for you. You have to parent yourself and it sounds harsh, but it's true. <laughs> we all have to. Great advice. And I'll ask you this one last question. I've been asking a lot of people on the, for the podcast is um, what's one tip um, that you would tell someone if they wanted to sort of get their body back to what it once was or their mind, but. Uh, the biggest lesson I've learned over time, mm-hmm. and you know, as I'm getting older, cardio, walking, swimming, any of these types of things won't do it. Mm-hmm. It won't do it. I was very resistant to weights. That's the only way. You have to lift stuff. Yeah, you are okay. going to burn way more. You are going to get a physique. You are going to actually get the body you want by lifting weights. It's not going to be through the other stuff. You could walk five miles a day. You ain't going to get toned abs. You ain't, you're just right. not. And so, uh, you know, and, and, and as you get older, you have to do it more and more and more regularly and things like that. So I used to do it. Then I got away from it and I saw the difference. And now, you know, I've been back into it. Um, I think I told you I did a thyroid experiment. I gained some fat over the pandemic. Um, and uh, I was like, but I was like, yeah, I was like, whatever. No one's, I don't care. Um, and, you know, so for me, it was like, all right, well, getting back on the medication is part of it. But now I've also got to, like I had, you know, I was in a hypo state for a little bit there. So now I've got to kind of do a little extra, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm being a little bit more diligent than most people, but I would say weights. Yeah. And, and literally I'm the last person that would have ever suggested that at one point because I, I don't want to, I'd rather walk it off. I'd rather just walk. I don't, I'd rather walk and swim. I don't want to, I don't want to do it. And you know, there's nothing wrong. I would say there's nothing wrong with walking, but, but. Sure, no, it's great. Right. Yeah. Especially after a meal. But yes, I agree with you. Resistance training. As you get you, older. You absolutely have to do it. Yeah. And by the way, you can do it in literally 15 minutes and be done. Right. So, so, so if you're on a primal paleo par- now, if you want to be like my podcasting partner, Tara Garrison, who's buff, you know, yeah. ripped, shredded, you know, like, you know, model, uh, yeah. fitness model. Yeah. Well, that's a different story. You're, you're going to have right. to like right. miss Depends a major weight. Right. Yeah. Right. You're going to have to be a beast, but for someone like me and I'm not pushing that and I'm not a personal trainer and I'm not about, I don't care about being on the cover of shape magazine. This is not my goal. Um, I don't take photos in bikinis cause I'm like, Hey, I'm going to train you how to do this too. I'm just a normal person out here just trying to feel good in their own body. Right. Um, the weights is uh, honestly though, it's every time if I get off it for 10 days or something, you know, mm-hmm. and then like get back on it and you see the difference right away. You notice the difference. It is also very important to a concept that Mark Sisson talks about and Brad Kearns in the keto reset, which is our keto for life, which is uh, the concept of organ uh, reserve. If you are not challenging these things, then when you are, if you're going to take a vacation now on lifting weights, your shiz is going to take a vacation on you when you're in trouble. That's why people die of the broken hip when they're older. It's not the broken hip. It's because they go to the hospital, they get pneumonia and their lungs have not been challenged for a long time because they don't work out and they don't do the stuff that challenges it. So now their lungs can't, you know, get rid of the sputum. And, and so again, this goes to anything, you know, your, your bones are going to get less dense, right? Because they're like, well, we're not being challenged here. So you have to challenge all of these things. If you want them to be in tip top shape, that's why it's seriously anti-aging. And it's such a great precursor to releasing all of the incredible hormones that we know mm-hmm. that are uh, involved with anti-aging. So yeah, one tip is get into the weights and I don't care if it's like you start with five pounds, you know what I mean? I don't lift that many weights because I have a hand disability. So I have like kind of weight restrictions to some degree that could cause me problems. But you know, again, just, you, you got to start somewhere and, and do what you can do. I love it. I love that tip and uh, lots of good stuff here. So I appreciate you coming on. We could probably talk for hours, but we're going to just leave it at that. And I appreciate all your tips and uh, yeah. Thanks for coming on Al. Thanks for having me. I do want to mention though, I do have a free thyroid guide. On oh my yeah. Website. So, so on my website, lross.com, just free thyroid guide in the corner. The reason I did this is because you don't have to go buy my book. You know, you can great, but right. that tells you like every test you need to get, when to get it tested, what time of day, what do you do? How do you call a doctor's office? How do you find a doctor in your state or country? There's a lot of great free resources in there. So if I'll you're leave a, a link. So that's lross.com. 
Right, lros.com. And then, uh, and of course, you can find everything there, the podcasts I host, my books, et cetera. Both my books are available on Amazon. And again, just, yeah, I wanted to point out that free thyroid guide or if you know anyone suffering because it has like the basics of like, do I have an issue with thyroid? Let me see. Let's start here. That kind of thing. Right. Start with the thyroid, right? Always. Go from there. Thanks, Al. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Get Lean, Eat Clean podcast. I understand there are millions of other podcasts out there and you've chosen to listen to mine and I appreciate that. Check out the show notes at briangrin.com for everything that was mentioned in this episode. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend or family member that's looking to get their body back to what it once was. Thanks again and have a great day.